I welcome you to our Remembrance Sunday service here at Essex Church, where this community of Kensington Unitarians meets each week. Here we gather to honour the gift of life that is ours, to remember that life is holy, to pray for healing and hope in the midst of trouble, to give thanks for the blessings that surround us. And today especially, we lift these up, the gift of life, the holiness that surrounds us, the troubles and the blessings, as we remember and honour those who have been taken by the cause of war in its intensity and its terror. We remember those who have lost their lives in hope of a new day of peace. In the quiet of our gathering, may we lift up our hearts in grateful thanksgiving for their lives and for the promise of peace that they may hold, hold perhaps despite everything. Our first reading today is called Christmas in France, and it, it, um, it's a story many of us know well. The, the reason I'm reading this particular version, I think it's particularly poignant, um, because it was written in 1937, and the person who wrote it was still hoping that peace could prevail in, in Europe. It's by Henry Benson, and it appeared in the Inquirer, the Unitarian newspaper, back in 1937. A few days before Christmas Day last year, I paid a visit to the British War Cemetery near Ypres for the purpose of placing a wreath on the grave of a British soldier. And on the road, I overtook a man, obviously a fellow pilgrim, who was carrying two branches of evergreens. And to my surprise, I found that he was a German, and he told me that he was taking these branches to the graves of two of his former comrades, who were buried in the larger German cemetery... And in the course of conversation, he mentioned that he was one of those German soldiers who so impulsively shook hands with our own troops in no man's land on Christmas morning, 1914. It will be recalled that the incident was severely condemned at the time as a grave breach of discipline, both in this country and in Germany. And my companion, however, placed another interpretation upon it. To see us, British and German, On the Feast of the Nativity, he said, talking and smoking together when we should have been killing one another. That was God's own work. I asked him to give me further details, since I'd often heard the British, but never the German version of the episode. I was in a trench, he said, facing the village on Christmas Eve, the British trenches being about 100 yards away in one place to about 400 yards in the other. The initiative came from our side. At nightfall, a number of our men, waving lanterns, showed themselves behind the line. Fire was immediately opened upon them, but they replied in English with, Don't shoot! Fire was held, and we then illuminated our parapet for about a mile. A German soldier who spoke English fluently then asked that a British Tommy should meet him halfway across no man's land, when he would exchange a bottle of wine and a box of cigars for a cake. The spirit of Christmas was abroad, even in the trenches, with its message of on peace on earth, peace to men of goodwill, 
and the offer was made and accepted in that spirit. Subsequently, an officer of the British battalion came right across to our line under a flag of truce and he arranged for an armistice for the morrow. Our commander consented with the words, a truce until midnight tomorrow when I will discharge my revolver and the war will continue. On Christmas morning, we made a request for our dead and the British brought them from amongst their barbed wire. We buried them in one large grave, both German and British standing bareheaded whilst one of our officers performed the burial service and thanked the British for their chivalry. That evening, a very strange concert was held, each side rendering a carol or a song, evoking applause from the other. There was no hatred in the trenches. Common hatred is not natural to the common man. The two travellers on that road bid farewell to each other, and the writer of this piece of writing in 1937 spoke this at the end. This is the supreme problem which faces the world in the new year. It's the problem, moreover, that faces each one of us. A spark and the hell of 1914 will blaze forth again. Without hatred, suspicion, distrust and misunderstanding, there would be no wars. So let the message of peace on earth go ringing through our world. Words written by Henry Benson in 1937. I read about the um, the 1914 Christmas Day truce. Um, The poet laureate um, Caroline Duffy also um, has written about that um, for this Armistice Day. But before that, I'm going to call on our very own poet laureate, John Hans, to read what, what I think, John, was your first poem about warfare. Motives, 1914. Poem for Remembrance Day Some say we fought a rich man's war Shared in his fiscal thrust for more Tore in our veins a fissure for our hate All like new Arcadians fought for a fatuous dream All our old desires are themes for new debate Young and credulous, we sank from sight in mud. Our sanguine enterprise was drowned in blood. Was it ambition in us? Was it hate? Bland ignorance of battle or escape? Too late for us dead to care for the captions of life. We remember only we once lived New love and pain, strife, heat and action, and felt once an unquenchable longing to feel clean. The Christmas Truce, a poem for Armistice Day by Caroline Duffy. Christmas Eve in the trenches of France. 
The guns were quiet. The dead lay still in no man's land. Freddy, France, Friedrich, Frank. The moon, like a medal, hung in the clear, cold sky. Silver frost on barbed wire, strange tinsel, sparkled and winked. A boy from Stroud stared at a star to meet his mother's eyesight there. An owl swooped on a rat on the glove of a copse. In a copse of trees behind the lines, a lone bird sang. A soldier poet noted it down, a robin holding his winter ground. Then silence spread and touched each man like a hand. Somebody kissed the gold of his ring, a few lit pipes, most in their greatcoats, huddled, waiting for sleep. The liquid mud had hardened at last in the freeze. But it was Christmas Eve. Believe. Belief thrilled the night air where glittering rhyme on unburied suns treasured their stiff hair. The sharp, clean midwinter smell held memory. On watch, a rifleman scoured the terrain. No sign of life, no shadows, shots from snipers, nout to note or report. The frozen foreign fields were acres of pain. Then flickering flames from the other side danced in his eyes as Christmas trees in their dozens shone candle-lit on the parapets, and they started to sing all down the German lines. Men who would drown in mud, be gassed or shot or vaporized by falling shells, or live to tell, heard for the first time, still a Nacht, heilige Nacht, alles schlaft, einsam wacht. Carriad, the song was a sudden bridge from man to man, a gift to the heart from home or childhood, some place shared. When, when it was done, the British soldiers cheered. A Scotsman started to bawl the first Noel, and all joined in till the Germans stood, seeing across the divide the sprawled, mute shapes of those who had died. All night, along the Western Front, they sang. The enemies, carols, hymns, folk songs, anthems, in German, English, French, each battalion quired in its grim trench. So Christmas dawned, wrapped in mist, to open itself and offer the day like a gift for Harry, Hugo, Herman, Henry, Heinz, with whistles, waves, cheers, shouts, laughs. Freue Weihnachten, Tommy. Merry Christmas, Fritz. A young Berliner brandishing schnapps was the first from his ditch to climb. A Shropshire Shropshire lad ran at him like a rhyme. Then it was up and over every man to shake the hand of a foe as a friend, or slap his back like a brother would, exchanging gifts of biscuits, tea, 
Makanoki stew, tickler's jam for cognac, sausages, cigars, beer, sauerkraut, or chase six hares who jump from a cabbage patch, or find a ball and make of a battleground a football pitch. I showed him a picture of my wife. Ich zeigte ihm ein Foto meiner Frau. Sie sei schön, sagte er. He thought her beautiful, he said. They buried the dead then, hacked spades into hard earth, again and again, till a score of men were at rest, identified, blessed. Der Herr ist mein Herz, my shepherd, I shall not want. And all that marvelous festive day and night, they came and went. The officers, the rank and file, their fallen comrades side by side, beneath the makeshift crosses of midwinter graves. Beneath the shivering shy stars and the pinned moon and the yawn of history. The high bright bullets which each man later only aimed at the sky. Some brief thoughts about Remembrance Sunday and about this the issues that that warfare brings up for us all some thoughts too about the wearing of these poppies in, in memory of those who have lost their lives in warfare poppies were much discussed in football circles this week when FIFA first banned the England team from wearing their red poppies on their football strip because it viewed them as a political symbol. They later changed their mind and the team played wearing black armbands with a poppy displayed upon it. A simple poppy holds so much meaning, so much symbolism. In Greek and Roman myths, the poppy was a symbol of sleep and death. It's narcotic qualities long known by ancient people. As a flower, it was seemingly used in offerings to the dead in the ancient world. And one of the most powerful images, as we know from the First World War, was the sight of poppies growing on the battlefields. Poppies that need the earth in which their seeds rest to be ploughed up in order for them to start their cycle of growth once more. And poppies, of course, don't care that the soil has been turned and churned, not by horse-drawn ploughs, but by the tracks of tanks and the marchings of millions of soldiers. The poppies bloomed in what seemed to those who saw them a most powerful symbol, a symbol of remembrance, a symbol of ever-renewed hope, a symbol of life reasserting itself in the fields of death. It's understandable then that the poppy was suggested as a symbol Uh, that would be used by the Royal British Legion for those who lost their lives in that terrible war. The poppy that is so simple to grow and simple to make, made by ex-servicemen and women to this day who have been disabled in war. 
Um, There is indeed a factory in in West London, in Richmond, that produces literally millions of these poppies every day, every year, and sends them around the world. And these poppies are worn or not worn as a, a nationalist statement sometimes, as a statement for or against the use of warfare to resolve world dilemmas. They're viewed as a a remembrance of soldiers and their supreme heroic sacrifice. They're sometimes seen as a symbol of imperialist slaughter. It all depends, doesn't it, on who is doing the viewing. John McRae, a Canadian soldier serving in the First World War, wrote this poem after seeing his close friend Alexis killed in battle in Flanders Field. The poppies grow between the crosses, row on row that mark our place, and in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe, to you from failing hands we throw the torch, be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. We can hear, probably, can't we, in that poem, both the hideous loss that you experience losing friends, comrades, in that hideous way, and perhaps a less appealing note of jingoism, take up our quarrel with the foe. Those sorts of rallying cries are less common now in the 21st century, exhausted as we seem to be by the seemingly endless tides of battles to be fought, injustices to right, issues, endless issues to resolve. Perhaps one of the few positives that might come from the financial problems our national economies are immersed in could be the realisation that fighting is costly and sometimes too costly to be embarked upon without a deep, deep consideration of other possible ways forward. The phrase, lest we forget, is found often on our nation's war memorials. It comes from a poem by Rudyard Kipling, Recessional. It was written for Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee. And it's a strange mixture of a message, on the one hand full, as Rudyard Kipling often is, full of British pride in the British Empire. On the other hand, he combines a warning of the danger of pride and an awareness that ultimately all earthly power must melt into history and into the sands of oblivion. Just one verse from that poem. Far called, our navies melt away. On dune and headland sinks the fire. Lo, all our pomp of yesterday is one with Nineveh and Tyre. Judge of the nations, spare us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. If I had to choose some aspect of warfare that I'd ask that we never forget, it would be the terrible ongoing cost and the inevitability of every war eventually coming to an end. I don't know if many of you had an email this week from the campaigning organisation Avaz, which was about um, the use of cluster bombs in warfare. The email started with this description... 
A few years ago, Ahmed picked up a bright metal object in a park where he was celebrating his fifth birthday in Lebanon. It was an unexploded cluster bomblet which blew up in his face, killing him slowly in front of his own family. You, you may or may not know that three years ago, um, public pressure pushed through a ban on cluster bombs. And apparently now the United States and other countries are lobbying nations to quietly sign a new protocol that allows the use of cluster bombs once again. Most countries are sitting on the fence on how to vote on this. And in the next day or two, in um, the Geneva conference, uh, a decision will be made on whether or not cluster bombs can be used again. I don't know about you, I find it slightly, more than slightly shocking that, that, um, that we have a convention on, the, uh, on conventional weapons and that that convention meets in Geneva and that they should even find it worthwhile discussing whether or not to bring back cluster bombs as one of the great arsenal of weapons that we have at our disposal. I'm going to end um, with a poem, because I think it is, as, as the quote from Wilfred Owen says on the front of the Order of Service sheet today, I think it is often poets who find a way to remind us of deep truths. This poem is by the Polish writer Wisława Symborska and it speaks of the, the need to clear up after every war and the poignant way in which the horrors of each war inevitably fade into history and, and too often are forgotten. It's called The End and the Beginning. After every war, someone's got to tidy up. Things won't pick themselves up after all. Someone's got to shove the rubble to the roadside so the the carts loaded with corpses can get by. Someone's got to trudge through sludge and ashes, through the sofa springs, the shards of glass, the bloody rags. Someone's got to lug the post to prop the wall. Someone's got to glaze the window, set the door back in its frame. No sound bites. No photo opportunities, and it takes years. All the cameras have gone to other wars. The bridges need to be rebuilt. The railroad stations too. Shirt sleeves will be rolled to shreds. Someone, broom in hand, still remembers how it was. Someone else listens, nodding his unshattered head. But others are bound to be bustling nearby who'll find all that a little boring. From time to time, someone still must dig up a rusted argument from underneath a bush and haul it off to the dump. Those who knew what this was all about must make way for those who know little and less than that. And at last, nothing less than nothing someone's got to lie there in the grass that covers up the causes and effects with a cornstalk in his teeth gawking at clouds Amen
May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and perhaps turn some of their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. Amen. Go well and blessed be.